Welcome to Brand Aid, where we talk to the biggest names in the business, and I'm real excited to have Kat Cole here. She's the CEO and president of Focus Brands, which includes Andy Ann's, Jamba Juice, Mo Southwest Grill, Cinnabon, and much more. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Kat, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, Cinnabon and Jamba Juice treat me very well. Um, also, Amazing. Also, I'm I think... so glad. Yeah, you sent over some stuff to our, to our house, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think I ate Annie Ann's pretzels and Cinnabon for like five days straight. <laughs> not even lying. Every snack, <laughs> breakfast, everything. I was like That's just awesome. scarfing down like Cinnabon and Annie Ann's. So. Does Annie Ann still make well, we those cinnamon ones? We got to balance it out with like all the workouts you guys are doing. <laughs> I can't be sending too much Cinnabon. I got to like blend in the Jamba a little more. Right. I know. We, uh, we do, we do go to Jamba about, uh, Four times a week, I'd say after a workout. So, do you have like a special VIP card, or would would she hook you up with nothing? No, nope. I have to. I got to do that. Whoa! Please, cat. I'm begging you. It's so good. Huge fan. <laughs> I promise. I am actually a fan of your work. So, Not thank you. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at your story, and it's pretty incredible. And you started out as a waitress at Hooters. Mm-hmm. You ended up becoming executive VP before moving on to Cinnabon as president, but were you just like the best waitress in the world? I mean, how do you, how do you get that? (laughs) Obviously. Obviously, right? Obviously. Yeah. It was just a, a really interesting mix of dynamics at one time. One, the, the company was growing. Like you, you can't remove growth from the equation of someone's killer career. And um, so credit to the company for having a brand that made sense at the time, for leaning into growth around the world. I mean, that that was a big part of the equation. And and then, yeah, I was I was a fantastic waitress. But more than that, I, you know, I really cared about the work. I mean, I I was I still am. But even then, when I was 18, I was one of those people who literally thought I was changing the world one chicken wing at a time. (laughs) Like, you know, I was. (laughs) I, I knew I was making people's day and, and because I cared, I was given a lot of responsibility at a young age. I would train new hires. Um, I would work other shifts and other, other roles in the restaurant. When the cooks quit one day, I went back and learned how to cook in the kitchen. And so I could pick up kitchen shifts and then bartending. And just, you know, before I knew it, I knew how to run a restaurant. That wasn't my goal. I was the first person in my family to get into college. I was a computer scientist and electrical engineering major. I thought it was going to go in a completely different wow. direction. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I fell in love with the work and, and, and the brand and the company. And because they were growing, I started opening franchises around the world when I was 19 years old and did that so often was traveling to these countries so often that I was failing college. So I dropped out of college because I was never there. I was opening franchises and the company kept growing and and I decided to, to grow with it. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but those are some headlines. Where were they flying you? I mean, how old were you at the time? Like 19, 20? And where are they flying you around the world? Yeah, I was um, when I was 19, the first opening, the first new franchise I ever was a part of opening was in Sydney, Australia. Wow. And That's I had awesome. never been on a plane I did not have a passport when they asked me to go. I had only been out of the state of Florida twice in my life for cheerleading competitions on a school bus and, you know, a few girls trips to Savannah, Georgia. I mean, that was the extent of my worldliness. Yet I still said yes. And I bought my first ever plane ticket with my tip money from being a waitress to Miami, where I could stand in line and get my passport expedited at the passport agency. And then a few weeks later, left for Sydney. And And, you know, I really thought that was a a one-time opportunity. I thought, who would ever give a girl like me an opportunity like that? Um, I I didn't know there was more to come, basically. And so I came back and I made up my classes. And then a few months later, the company called and said, great news. We're launching the franchise in Central America, and we want you to be on that team. And so I was like, see, (laughs) you know, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and then... And then it changed because the company started asking me to lead the teams, not just be on the teams, but go early, help set up the supply chain, train the franchisees, be the leader of the people who were just like me a few months prior showing up to be a part of these teams. And the first time I did that was in uh, Buenos Aires, the first ever of the franchise in South America, and then and then in Nassau. 
you know, and it would go on and on. And so the company kept growing and I kept saying, see, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was great because I, I learned trial by fire and I wasn't perfect, but the company was growing so fast. They weren't expecting perfect. The bar was kind of like, don't build, don't burn the building down and make sure the brand is beloved and make whatever changes you need to and set the franchisee up for success. And I thought, well, I can do that. I don't know if I can do much more than that, but I can do those things. And then when I was 20 uh, and consequently failing college, because I was literally never there when I would go to these countries, it was 30, 40 days at a time. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. And so I was offered a corporate job at the age of 20. So I packed up a U-Haul and drove from Jacksonville to Atlanta and started managing people Holy. in a corporate headquarters when I was 20 years old and, and just learned a ton during that time in my early kind of corporate enterprise years, managing people, living off a paycheck and not tips. That was a bummer. <laughs> Learning to actually plan your life around paychecks, which you never have to do as a you know as a waitress. You can always pick up a shift. There's always money. Uh, so I grew up a lot the hard way, jumping into corporate so young and had some pretty amazing mentors and bosses and leaders, whatever you want to call them, that that taught me a lot and continued to give me crazy opportunities, even though I was so young, which led to me becoming uh, one of the vice presidents at 26 of Hooters, which at the time was doing about 800 million in revenue. Wow. Griff, that's younger than you. I, what, I know. You're 21, right? At 20, yeah. she was on, in the corporate world and just right. killing it it's crazy no i i don't know why hooters didn't market this story better like this is crazy i've never heard about this i've been to hooters so many times and like this gives it a whole different dynamic i feel like and it's crazy because a lot of uh people that are listening to this you know they might be younger or might not have um like an established job or career yet so i think it's very powerful your message that it's not even about where you work. It's about how good you are at doing it yeah. and making sure you're the best. And I think that's really important for building your brand. It doesn't really matter where you were like, you know, Hooters just mm -hmm. serving like it, it, it wasn't anything crazy, but you became the best at it. And that leads to more opportunities. So I think that that's a very inspiring story. I feel like for anyone listening, like you could work at McDonald's and if you become the best worker at McDonald's and work your way up, who knows? You can own the McDonald's. You could own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so. there are so many stories like that. Really, people, you hear that from the dish room to the boardroom or um, from, from working behind the counter to franchise owner, especially in these franchise systems, because franchising is this model of you're, you're in business you know, for yourself, but not by yourself. And there tends to be more opportunity to become maybe not a true in the true sense of the word entrepreneur, because you're not starting it from zero, but you really do still have to have a lot of leadership courage to put your life savings on the line to go all in. Um, so it's a, it's a path that enough of those stories to your point they're, they're not told often enough. And I wasn't the only one at Hooters or in the restaurant industry that would go on to have leadership roles in the company or run and found businesses. So hopefully people who who listen are inspired and realize no matter I love it. where they are, there's definitely growth to be had. Yeah, I, I think that brings up a, a really good point too. It's like, how how did you like, what, what kept you from just being an average worker yeah. and being an, like an exceptional above average? Because I know I've worked plenty of normal just like nine to five or seven to three jobs and I just kind of honestly I'm going to be straight up just went through the motions did my work and left like that's all I could think about is when can I leave most people are <laughs> like that Kat what makes I got the I had the yeah same did question. you just love it or like what was it that drove you to be an exceptional worker yeah like what makes you different than everybody else who wants to yeah. go home I don't know if it's really different. First, I, I think we're all at different stages in our life for different reasons. And certainly I worked with folks, you know, sometimes where I'm like, why are you even here? You know, just go home. <laughs> right, right. And, and then I would have those days where I'd be like, I don't want to be here. You know, that, that wasn't the average, but I had those days too. And so I've just learned to not have too much judgment around that because everybody's in such a different place. But for me, you know, we, my, my mom and my sisters and I left my dad when I was nine years old, he was an alcoholic and a terrible husband and father, really sweet man, 
um, but a terrible husband and father. And it was not good. And my mom was very poor. Both sides of my family were like super shit poor. And except my dad who had an executive job. And so just so happens the one dude who's got the fancy job is also like a raging alcoholic. And uh, so my mom built up the courage, even though she had three girls, three, six, and nine years old uh, to leave and go out on her own. She was what was called a secretary at the time. No one could help. My dad didn't pay child support. There was, you know, there was no help from the outside, but she figured it out. She fed us on a food budget of $10 a week for three years until her until she grew within her own job and, you know, was able to make a little more money. Um, she worked multiple jobs. And so I just, I think I I grew up one, I wanted to work, work seemed cool to me. You know, it was, it was a bit liberating. It was, there was something about it that was freedom. It felt fancy, you know, to go to my (laughs) J-O-B. Um, so it's a little bit of what was in my head that made me, um, have more fun at work and see more, delight in the mundane or what others might call the mundane. And, and everything was a reflection of me. I had a lot of pride in the littlest, littlest things. Like if the bathroom was dirty in the restaurant, you know, I took it personally. If the food wasn't cooked, if I heard somebody complaining, you know, I, I was embarrassed. Like I took it personally. I've had an owner's mindset, even with things I don't own since I was very, very young. Um, I don't really know where that came from other than just wanting to be proud. And, and then the work came because I had to work, I had to make money. And I was keenly aware, especially being a waitress in a casual dining restaurant, at least in the US, you know, the way it works is tipping is a big part of the compensation. And so I was so keenly aware of the connection between my behavior, the kitchen or the restaurant's capabilities the customer's experience and my income, like that triangle of, um, of connection between my lifestyle and the customer's experience, the distance between those lines was so short. And so I just, I was obsessed with people having great experiences. And I was also very aware that that didn't happen unless everyone was sort of close to their best in the operation. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just them. It wasn't just the kitchen. It was everything. And so it's a combination of those things. I think my own mindset, wanting to be proud, taking my work seriously because I had to, seeing my mom as an example, someone who just worked and who was always super positive. I mean, she rarely, if ever, spoke ill of our father, even though she had many reasons to. So there was this grace about her that made people want to be around her and help her instead of feeling sorry or sad for her. And I think some of that just rubbed off on me as a young person, as a young woman, and it's how I showed up to work every day. Wow. Wow. I mean, so the show's about branding. So that's a good, it's a good segue because you had the owner's mentality and 99.9% of people do not have that mentality. They go, I'm going to do the bare minimum or I'm just, right. I'm going to try to do a decent job so I don't get fired or, you know, <laughs> and then I get to go home. How tough is it to, to maintain a brand? So you guys own uh, Mo Southwest Grill. How tough is it? Because it, it, it revolves so much around that experience and there's so many moving parts and it's people related. It's yeah. how the cook's feeling that day, what he's putting out. Maybe the waitress was in a bad mood and she's real short and snippy with the customer. So many things can break down. Is a restaurant the hardest business to maintain a good brand? You know, I don't don't know if it's the hardest, but it's to your point, there are so many pieces, so many moving parts, but maybe I'd look at it a different way that you also have more opportunities to save the experience if one piece isn't going well. Whereas if it's just a CPG, you know, a package, if it's wrong, it's just like all shit, right? It's like all wrong. Whereas in a restaurant, if one piece is wrong, maybe something else can make it better. So, so yes, you're right. There's more to go wrong, but there are also more variables in the equation, which leaves you more opportunities to end up with a pretty positive experience. Um, but it is incredibly difficult. And, and then add in multiple units, multiple countries, uh, many layers between, call it the branders or the marketers or the people who own the IP and the actual execution of it. So just live experiences, it is in great part the brand delivered by the human to human 
connection that's changing a little with more off-premise, more technologically enabled ordering, more of the brand showing up in a bag in your home, uh, but still that that quality of the person, their energy, how much they care, that, that shows up on the plate or in the box. You can tell if an employee cares about the food and how it shows up, not being handled by a third-party delivery company maybe, and there's other things going on, but the, the human side of it still is an incredibly material variable in the overall brand experience. And the brand experience is more important than the brand promise. The promise is the words, the billboard, the social, the, the creative, right? The, everything that's produced and edited and contained, everything else is what happens, you know, IRL. Yeah, and I, um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people here that, you know, don't have their careers yet and they might be working, you know, jobs that are actually in the food uh, being a waitress, being, you know, a chef, whatever it is, dishes, um, you being as, you know, you, you run all of these successful, you know, food companies and stuff that we eat all the time, literally like Jama juice. I go there almost <laughs> every day. Um, whenever you're looking at employees and let's say anyone in general that's working at in, in the food industry, how do they work their way up kind of like you did? Because I know a lot of people, everyone wants to make more money. Everyone wants to be important. So like anyone that's listening to this, how could they, you know, stand out? Yeah. Part of it is first being really good at the job you're actually being asked to do. Sometimes, <laughs> right. you know, have you ever met those people at a party? Um, not that anybody's having a lot of parties these days, but have you ever met those people at a party that they, they meet you? And then they're looking over your shoulder to yeah. see who else is cooler or more important that shows up at the party. Griffin there doesn't are, have that experience because Griffin is the cool guy at the party. Right. So no one's looking past like. them. Yeah. I was I actually going to say you're, I don't party, but I'm wearing a shirt that says partyanimal.shop. So. Yeah. So you're the party animal that walks in the door that when somebody's talking to me, they're like, no, thanks. Me too. Exactly. <laughs> It, you know, I think it's important to avoid that from a career perspective, that you're so focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that you're actually really bad at what you're supposed to be doing right now. And I've seen some people who are um, delusional or even destructive achievers where they're so focused on things far out, which is awesome to have that like in your mind as motivation and as goals, but to before you even have respect for step one, to think you should be at step four is, is not practical and, and, and does it make people want to be on your team, you know, and give you opportunities and help and like be your fan and tell your story and, and suggest you when an opportunity comes up because you're actually letting people down real time during the day. So I've seen that even when I was a waitress, I see it in the executive suite. I see it in, in corporate America and in management. There are some people, not many, but some who are so wrongly fixated on the next few things that they don't realize how their inability to, to deliver for people today is actually making the distance between them and their goals much farther. At the same time, the opposite can be true that some people like both of you have said, just put their head down. This is my job. This is the least I need to do. If I'm good at it, I'll get opportunities. Um, a lot of people are good at their jobs and there are not a, as many opportunities as there are people. So something has to make you stand out. And I think about three, three R's, um, results, relationships, and reputation. And so the results are literally like, what, what are the results? How good are what are you? you doing? How are you doing your job? Are you doing your part? What are the actual outcomes? The relationship, so that's the what. Is the what you do meeting and exceeding expectations compared to your peers? Then the relationships, the second R is about the how. Some people get killer results, but how they do it is not cool. And so the relationship side of thing, like not leaving a trail of tears, but rather a trail of fans <laughs> while you're doing your what, um, that's important. And those two things add up to the third R, which is what's your reputation? When you're not in the room, what do people say about you? And, and saying nothing is also not good. That means they don't know you. That means you don't show up. That means you're not there for people or making it known what you want or 
you know, or what your what opportunities you're interested in. And you also don't want someone who is a barrier to your opportunities because they've had some unfortunate perceptions or experiences. There's always a table. There's this table that people sit around like literally or virtually. And I think of that in my mind often that have an impact on any of our futures, on opportunities we get, on investments we do or don't get, on hires we do or don't make, on gigs we have the opportunity. There's always someone who can put their thumbprint on that. And are they, do they have nothing to say, which isn't helpful? <laughs> do they have something negative to say, whether it's fact-based or not, it's the reputation, or do they have something positive to say? And can they open doors? And that's that that third R. So the results, the what, the relationships, the the how, which also includes helping others. And then the the kind of combination of those, the overall reputation, which you can always improve. It's, you know, it's it's never too late. But I'd be thinking about that even if I'm a waitress or a customer service rep or a tech or a delivery gal or whatever it is, there's always an opportunity to think about am I am I doing what I'm supposed to be and and then some? Am I building great relationships along the way? And how do people perceive me? And what is that getting in the way of or enabling for my opportunities? Wow. I think that's great for anything, honestly, mm -hmm. whether it's just being in school even. Yeah. It's like, yeah. How, how, how good are you at your work? Are you making friends? And, you know, how, what, are they, what do people say about you? What do your teachers say about you? Just anything in general. I feel like that's a really good, like, you know, line to ride whenever you're doing anything and thinking about how you can be good at it. Oh, no doubt. Kat, you brought up on entrepreneurship and having that kind of mindset. I want to talk, Griffin, kind of in a little bit about your building brands and kind of how do yeah. you start and brand message. But the first thing I want to talk about, Kat, before that is kind of existing brands. So you've kind of inherited a bunch of brands, you know, Cinnabon and all these other ones. How do you manage them? When you started, did you like the brand? Or did it need some tweaking? You know, what do you do when you have an existing brand? You know, how do you change it? How do you make it stay consistent? You know, how do you define it? Those kind of things. I'd say I have two approaches that, like you said, Griffin, actually applies to many things, not just managing yeah. a mature brand. But first is this mantra. Um, it's a version of what my mom wrote on my birthday cards as my story got out there and I was in the media. She started to write, like, don't get too big for your britches. And don't forget where you came from. But then she would also say inspirational things like you're not limited by your past. And I put those things together with this mantra, which is don't forget where you came from, but don't you dare ever let it solely define you. Our truth is in our roots, but our past is not our jail. And that, you know, that mindset that our truth is in our roots and not forgetting where we came from that has to be honored with any brand. You can't just turn an existing company and a brand into something it's not. Otherwise, you lose everything you just bought. Like, why buy a brand if you want something different? Buy a different brand. <laughs> so, so that honoring the roots and figuring out what parts should be protected is an exercise in um, customer research, of course, uh, getting really close to founders and people who've known the brand over the years and finding the themes that are these universal truths that need to continue on in the future, maybe in a different way, but need to continue on in the future. But then the second part of that mantra is, but don't let it solely define us. Our past is not our jail. And when I took over Cinnabon, the company already owned it. I was hired in to be the president of Cinnabon when I was 31. Um, and it was already international and it was already multi-channel, but it was in the recession and it was struggling deeply. Like malls were in trouble, not for the same reasons they have been recently because people just didn't have money and they weren't traveling and they weren't shopping. And so sales were greatly depressed. And these are small business owners. I mean, yeah, there's a couple where they own a lot of locations, but most of them own between one and five. Very small, mom and pop, their family and friends work there kind of thing. And the bedrock of our communities. And the brand hadn't innovated much. We were known for a cinnamon roll the size of your face. Um, <laughs> still, That's what I think Still of. are. But there were some franchisees. It was pretty obvious through some like work I did in the stores and talking to people that we needed smaller portions. That was obvious, but there was a reason that the brand hadn't moved to it. They were afraid of trade down. You know, if you sell something for $5, 
and you're already in a tough spot from a sales perspective, it's kind of scary to think of selling something for $2 because will the few people who are buying the $5 thing trade down to the $2 thing and now I'm really screwed. You know, there was a lot of fear around doing what was so obviously the right tweak to the business. And so it held them back from innovating the very thing that was honoring the roots, made with the same ingredients, still the same core product, but done in a way that was more relevant for a customer base. And oh, by the way, would drive frequency, encourage people to indulge more responsibly, you know, all the good that would come from it. Plus it was cheaper and more affordable so they could buy it more often. Um, and, and I've got a bazillion examples like <laughs> that, but the, the idea of not trying to go too far from where we have permission to go as a brand. There were some people who were like, you need sugar-free. People don't come to Cinnabon for their diet. <laughs> right. um, you know, you need this, you need that. And, and we explored a lot of it, we experimented, but the reality was that there were logical ways to innovate that allowed us to stay true to who we were. So when we did something different, people thought that makes sense from Cinnabon, not why would I buy that from Cinnabon? You know, you know, it's something can sound really good in wow. a business case That's so and smart. actually not drive a dollar worth of sales. And so that, that mantra, the right connection between the past, the present and the future is without going into a lot of very technical detail from a brand evolution standpoint and brand architecture, it is all about that. What parts of the past should be honored and or tweaked or dialed up or the story really told? Sometimes nostalgia plays pretty well and talking about your past makes a lot of sense. Other times something's so dated and it's dwindled in its relevance that changing it at a pace that the business can handle and that the customer can believe is, is really smart too. So that mantra is the first part. And the second part is a bit of what I reference, which is staying close to the customers. Like Customers and employees, especially employees that are working very close to the customers, have easily 75% of the answers. They know when we say no, when people have requests. Um, they know the thing. They watch customers throw things away that they don't want anymore. Like the answers are there. Just the leader has to get in there and ask the questions because people who are closest to the action lack the language to articulate the idea in a scalable way, and they lack the authority to do something about it but the leader does. So those are the, I think the two frameworks at a really high level that I would say are critical to keeping mature brands relevant and thinking about how to tweak them in their own way so that they have the best chance to keep thriving. That was some of the best advice I had ever gotten about that. Like that resonated with me well also. And like you said, it goes into a lot of things because something I've struggled with in social media. And I was talking about this um, in our, in our last podcast we just did. Um, it's hard for me because there's a lot of things you can do in social media that are successful. There's a lot of trends. There's a lot of things that blow up. And like my problem was, is I was chasing trends and I wasn't building myself. I didn't have a core. So when people ask who's Griffin Johnson, all you can say is, oh, he's a creator. You don't say Griffin Johnson, the business guy. You don't say Griffin Johnson, um, you know, the, the education guy, it was kind of just That's like, changing now, though. it is. And I, and I'm working on that. And like, I've been telling my, you know, my fans and, and people on the internet, like I'm going to be the best host that social media has ever seen. And I'm also going to change the culture of TikTok, And I want to edit, like educate you guys on how to be, um, successful in, in, in general, as well as business, if you're interested in that. And, um, I've just been pounding it and I, I, I never really, had anything before it was just kind of like I was the funny guy and I made funny <laughs> content and I was I was kind of missing like who I basically who I was and how people perceive me and I, I was kind of just saying like oh I'm this person and I'm the entertainer yeah. guy but I wasn't listening to what anyone else wanted and building that building that up for myself so L listening to customers like she just talked about. So yeah, and I was gonna ask still you still being true to you. Yeah. Right. And I was gonna ask you, so like anyone that's trying to make something, how do you decide what is interesting to other people? Is it something that you think is good and you just put it out there? Or how do you analyze that? Is it the market? Like how do you how do yeah. you think of that? I think I think you know, any of us, we have to start with ourselves because if we're only creating for the outside 
the reality is that will change on a dime sometimes. And so the foundation has to be incredibly strong. And I think about, um, you know, Cinnabon, one, all these big franchises and big brands all started with one, right? Your amazing career, Griffin, started with one post. Like at some point there was one first thing and then it got energy and traction and you're so smart, like legitimately to have the maturity and the, like the, the brains to pause and say, all right, this is great. This has a ton of momentum, but there's a concept in business called S curves, right? And something starts low, early adopter. It gets, you know, it gets more popular, moves to ubiquity, but then it hits maturity that, and it start. then it's sort of like not a big deal anymore because there's something else coming along. That's at the beginning of that's where I'm at right now, by the way, I've kind of seen that with my career and all of us have, it's kind of like, it was like, we were down, we came up, we went on tour kind of went back down. And then this summer we just shot up with Sway. And now it's kind of like Sway is still relevant. Sway is still cool. If we mm-hmm. do something, people, they look at it because it's like they know the name. But like totally. the engagement is kind of like, it's matured. Yeah. Like we, we kind of got to develop ourselves again and we're going down this slope. So I'm in like a really hard place right now trying to f- figure out who I am and going back up on that slope. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people can see that in a lot of different ways, even with just having interest in something. You know, like people listening to this, it's like how, like if you want to make something, how do you stay interested? And like, how do you keep developing yourself as a person to be interesting and be interested in things that you like and want to do with your life? Yeah. I I think that's cool. One, it's really powerful when you can keep starting your own S curves, like what you're doing. You know, you're you're always... Like you, some of your, you know, use the plant. I love analogy, like plant analogies and you plant some seeds and summer sprouts. And with the world today, the S curves go really fast yeah, in a lot of categories. Very the fast. In your world, the trees, your world, the trees grow in uh, about uh, a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a, I think there's a, a, a healthy blend. It'll be different for everyone, depending on what they're working on of, always doing certain things that you love because it's what's going to give your soul energy. And as it turns into something other than what you originally intended, which these things take on a life of their own. And, and then do you have enough people around you? And do you have enough process yourself to keep looking at yourself every so often? I practice something called the hotshot rule where I check in a lot and kind of think about what someone I admire would do if they were in my role. And I keep giving myself permission to change, permission to change, permission to change. Like I am not bound by how other people see me, even if the way they see me is of my own doing, right? That there are so many examples of brands and megastars that have been trapped by their own image and not been able for many reasons, and this is no judgment, right, of them or the companies or lots of reasons, um, not been able to break out of that early enough to sort of organically start a new S-curve or plant a new seed. And what's beautiful about what you're doing is when you do that often enough, over time, you are less defined by the very last thing you did. People zoom out and see like the bigger picture, like, oh, creator, entrepreneur, mentor. You know, it in the early days, of course, you, I mean, when I left Hooters forever, I was the president that used to be a Hooters girl <laughs> forever. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and I owned that and I embraced it and I love the company and I love that era, but it took being the president of Cinnabon and turning that around and then my humanitarian work in Africa and then my angel investing. And eventually people start, it's almost too much to use the examples. So then people started using these group words like executive, investor, mentor. And now I'm much bigger than the individual things that I've done. And people almost expect me to keep dabbling and keep changing because I've built that rep. I'm constantly like this, I'm constantly going through the caterpillar. I have a toddler. So he's talking about caterpillars a lot right now. Caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly, caterpillar, (laughs) chrysalis, butterfly. Like I'm constantly doing that. And I'm a different butterfly every time I come out of one of those eras. And instead of people being like, "Mm, you're not the butterfly we remember. We don't like that anymore. It's like, oh, you're the butterfly that changes all the time. That's dope. Right. And that 
I think there is just some real power in that as an individual one. It's very liberating. You know, it sucks to feel like you're stuck in something that doesn't feed your soul yet. At the same time, you don't want to let people down. Me. You don't want to let your fans <laughs> me down. Right now. You don't want to let your investors down. You don't. And, and so there's also some responsibility we have um, to honoring whatever it is we've built and triply hard for you when what you're building, you are part the product. And you so are it is the product, really. Yeah, but you're ways, diversifying, yeah. right? You're you're investing in, in actual products that aren't yourself and your right. image. And you're mentoring other people and you're creating podcasts like this where you're shining the light on bigger topics. And over time, you're still part of the diversified portfolio is Griffin the product, but everything isn't resting on it, right? You've got like right. branches yeah. off of Finally. it. Finally, you're the trunk. Finally. Branches off, and that'll just keep happening especially with the type of like heart and energy and giving that I've seen you have and how lean, how much you're leaning into learning publicly. And even what you just said, like, I'm struggling with this. I'm on this journey. That is so badass, right? So many people don't even do that part. They don't even say oh, like, I, I reached a point at Hooters where I, I thought I love this company. I'm kind of famous for this company, but I don't think I want this company to be my whole story. And it doesn't mean I won't always love it and and acknowledge all the cool things that make it an important part of my story. But I'm I want something else to be a part of my story, and I'm I'm allowed to do that. And I had many reasons to stay, <laughs> financial reasons and other career reasons. Not to mention the natural fear of the unknown and changing a company for me after 15 years. Yeah, trust me, and, I get it. Yeah, but the more you do it the more it's like, oh, every time I do this, there is far more upside than downside. And I get comfortable with the expected discomfort of whatever the next thing I do is, I'm never gonna be as good at that as I was the thing I'm leaving. Cause I was the best at that. And, and that's why I leave, right? That's why it's time to, to change or to add something on because I don't wanna just rot in this um, one definition of myself and you know it makes me think of my husband he rode the atlantic ocean in a rowboat what in a rowboat yeah he'd be an interesting person to have on the podcast. Yeah, you know, wow um, wow how long did that take by the way but he never talked about it he's not a big public speaker he's he's in venture capital now he's kind of a quiet guy just gets stuff done um but he's an ultra endurance athlete and he didn't want to talk about it for a while. And I thought, you've got to tell your story. It's so inspirational. And he's like, I don't want to always be the guy that rode the ocean. I want to do other things and have people see that bigger picture. And, yeah, that's... and I didn't get it at first because I'm more comfortable like being out and talking like you are Griffin, like just helping people and making the most of the moment. And I didn't get it. And, and now that I've seen the years pass, he is getting ready to row again <laughs> um, soon. Um, it's really beautiful to see that even something that was so big and so life defining, he at such a young age had the maturity to realize it's, it is huge. It is dope, but it's one of many things. I will not be defined by it. You know, wow. I was thinking of you too. It is scary. And this applies to a consumer brand like Cinnabon, like your example where, Hey, we make huge Cinnabons as big as your head. We kind of want to go smaller, but uh-oh, what if they're not spending as much money? What if we lose money doing that? And it's the same thing for you, Griffin, too. It's like, it's scary. I don't want to upset my customers who are loyal to me and my brand, and they love my silly yeah. TikToks, and they love seeing kind of outrageous Griffin. If by doing a business podcast like this, I mean, is that going to take away or is that going to change the message? Well, is it scary for you, too? So it's scary for me, and I want to... I always try to relate things with my fans and like whoever's listening um, for anyone that's changing up what they're comfortable with. Right. So like, like you said, I am, you know, reasonably successful in what I've been doing on TikTok and converting that. Um, basically you never know what's going to happen. So you always like, for me, like I had like the craziest worst four months of my life <laughs> and I just had to like self reflect and self reflect. And I was thinking it's like, Kind of like you were saying, do I want to be defined and do I want to be remembered by this? No. And also, I wasn't really happy with, like, I didn't care about the money. I don't care about the followers or the views, really. Like, I've taken a detrimental cut in all of my engagement lately. Like, 
literally a quarter of what it was in the summer. Um, but I don't care because now, you know, I'm, I'm making my new curve and like it's, it's down right now, but I'm so passionate about doing this and, and education. And, you know, literally I, I mentioned my taxes, like whenever I went to do that, I was like, what the fuck is going on? How do I not know this? How did school never teach me this? And like also that on the internet, a lot of this stuff you see, you don't know if it's real or if it's fake. I want to be the guy that can kind of go through and decipher that for people. Not saying that I know all, but just saying whenever I say something, it's either A, to help you, B, to educate you, or C, so you can at least read what I say and see through the darkness. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now it hasn't really picked up because education isn't like sexy right now on the internet. It's drama, right? Like people want to see the drama. At the same time, someone like you can be a bridge between what might traditionally be viewed as not sexy to things that are done in a way that's more relevant and entertaining and sexy, right? Like that's what I'm trying. Taxes can be sexy, especially when you owe a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. My whole goal right now is to bridge that gap. I want to make, you know, learning and education and like, um, you know, informing people because cancel culture is so crazy right now. Like someone makes a mistake and some of them are like, all right, that was messed up. Like you do need to lose your platform. (laughs) Not going to lie. But other times it's just little things or like people nitpicking. It's like, Instead, like, okay, so for instance, in 2017, um, I liked a tweet, something about, it wasn't bad, but it was like something about transgenders. And I was not, I'm from a small town, Paris, Illinois, like whatever. I didn't understand really. And um, now that I look back, I was like, I can't even believe I would like that. I'm so much more educated on the world and things. And like my perspectives have completely changed. And like, I want to help people do that and bridge those gaps and make it cool. And instead of hating all the time, you know, there is times and places where people do some really messed up things like whatever, get your hate, (laughs) do your thing. But like, I just want to help like intertwine that. And, uh, I think it's, you know, it kind of led off of what you're saying is keep your roots, but do what you're passionate about. And it's not always about what you're good at and what you're comfortable with. It's like, you just gotta make your own way. Yeah. And I do think sometimes, not always, sometimes there's a way to build a bridge between those S curves and bring people with you. And, and so literally it's still doing the fun stuff, but like every once in a while peppering in some of these things in a way that doesn't overwhelm people or shock them or make them think, wait a minute, where's party animal Griffin? Cause I want that one. Well, yeah. (laughs) He's still there somewhere. I'm still doing it like that trust yeah. me like it's not like i just say like like if you look at my twitter some of them are funny some of them are yeah. promoting some of them are educational like yeah it varies um but that brings like, people with you though yeah the problem is is that i struggle with is like my old self was drama like it was like mm-hmm. how do i start controversy how do i keep my name in people's mouths and like with them like with where i'm trying to go i'm basically left with just my core followers Mm-hmm. And because I haven't been in any drama, I've been minding my own business for the most part, just like trying to trying to work on myself because you can't be viewed as a serious entrepreneur, or a serious, <laughs> like influential person whenever you're in drama and you're doing this. And like mm-hmm. I learned a lot from what I've done and yeah. I want to that's how I want to help like spread my message. And that's how I learned and how I reflected. So it's hard because, yes, I still do the sprinkling of like the fun yeah. and the. But like I have to leave that that side of me in the past mm-hmm. in a way. And it hurts social media, obviously, because like I said, it's all about drama, 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 drama. And that's where I'm trying to bridge the gap. So I've been honing in on my personal followers and like the mm-hmm. people that really love me. Like you were saying with, you know, your employees and like making sure you stay in contact with your, you know, customers. Sorry, I'm just trying to keep this all together. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so that's what I've been trying to do. But, you know, sometimes you you do things and like it's hot for a while and then it kind of goes down. But you still have those follow like those loyal customers that you hold on to. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get a new product. Eventually it takes off. And like that's that's my journey. And uh, trust me, I'm not just going straight up. I'm Griffin Johnson. <laughs> I have uh, my Ph.D. And, I'm, you know, so like it's it's a challenge for sure. Well, the, other the way thing- you're doing it, it 
it will last longer and build, you know, when you have to keep hitting that drama spike, right? Like there's always someone else also doing that. And so it's just like this all the time. And it's not, it's awesome. There's a lot of power in that. I really believe that, but it is also not sustainable for long Long periods of time in that way. Eventually the audience moves on. Eventually the individual burns out in some way or throws themselves into such a destructive place that there are all kinds of other problems and very difficult to come back from and not impossible. Same for a company too. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the fact that you're like planting these seeds and bringing people along. You're, you know, you're, you're coming to some really um, smart milestones in the journey a lot earlier than most. That's exactly what I did. I just hit these, I, first of all, I started earlier than most, so right. that helps, but I, I just hit some of these milestones of learning and of experience at a younger age and, and had enough humility to learn from the people around me, but also enough courage and confidence to speak my mind and add my value. And I, I yeah, I was the youngest person in the room. Permanently, That's okay, trust much. me, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, but I learned that there are downsides to that and there were real things I needed to learn. So this blend of humility and curiosity on one side and courage and confidence on the other and making sure those things are kind of in check. If you're just courageous and confident, you're, you're a bull in a china shop and you'll get stuff done and you'll get some attention, but very few people will follow you over time to many places that you go and you want your career to be cumulative. You know, you want investors to follow you. You want fans to follow. You want people, employees to want to work with you in the next thing and the next thing. And, and at the same time, so courage and confidence is important, but humility and curiosity is the right complement to it. But if you're only humble and curious, you're just a student and like no offense to students, <laughs> right. yeah. but that's also not going to get things done. And so learn, learning to be really self-aware and get command of those, what I like to call the four mindsets. Like those are the four mindsets. Everything I've found that are my downsides or my strengths can be chalked up to a a misalignment and um, disproportionate mixture of those things at the wrong moment. And when I've been most on point, done the craziest things at the youngest age, it's when I can look back and go, there was the moment of courage there was, that's what it looked like being confident, but here was the humility and here was the curiosity. One, and in my best moments, all four are visible. Griffin, the one thing, so you're transforming your personal brand, but the other thing, and Kat, you're aware of this, is you and all the other Sway guys are also building brands. You're yeah. In, yeah, involved in all these startups. Kat, the, I guess the question to you is when starting a brand, like you inherited these brands who already had kind of a message and you had to tweak them a little bit and kind of make some changes. They're kind of at a different point where they're, they've got startups, they're starting a brand new brand. They're involved in everything from, you know, what the product is and tweaking that to packaging and all the other kind of stuff. What do they need to be aware of when they're developing a brand? How well thought out do they have to be? I mean, in the early days, especially if it's a product business, the product is the brand, right? right. And, and it's, there aren't a lot of products. And so the, they're very synonymous. It's relatively easy to control. So if you get it wrong, everything's wrong. If you get it right, everything's right. As it grows and ends up in more retailers with different price points, with varying SKUs, and then some evolution of the brands themselves, that's, those are the first opportunities um, to stumble. And everybody does, you literally can't avoid it, but having some process, whether that's your team, your board, your advisors, um, the, the crew that you check in with regularly who are going to be truth tellers about the customer and the competitive environment. So the team can make the smartest decisions. Those truth tellers get harder to find as you get bigger and more famous Very and hard. more successful. And honestly, as you have more success, you also don't want to hear the truth as much. Is that true, and Griffin? It, in your world, do you get a lot of yes people? Yes, men. I yeah. actually speak about that um, a lot in Sway in general. So, like, this is kind of what you were just asking about. But we've been working on changing the image of Sway. Um, the problem is, is that, that we see in business a lot, especially is 
people will say like, you know, like if you speak to them in person, they'll be like, yeah, you know, Sway is great. Like, I love what you guys have done. Like, it's awesome. And then you see in Business Insider articles <laughs> and you hear things, it's like, yeah, there are a bunch of dumb kids that don't know what they're doing. It's like, why don't you just tell me that and instead teach me? Like all, all of us in Sway, and I, I can definitely speak for myself, I take criticism very well. I know mm. that we've been dumb. We've made a lot of stupid decisions. I've reacted in my emotions a lot on the internet and on social media. I'm very vulnerable to it. Like, I don't hide my awesome. emotions. Um, but, like, I, I don't understand why, you know, there's so many yes men. It's like, yeah, you're great. When, when you see me, it's like, tell me no. I, like, no, you're not, and tell me why. Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard, man. I mean, especially as a, you know, a founder and a creator, there are times when people will disagree with you and you are right to not listen. You know, there are times where you have to trust your instinct. And then there are times where um, it's really hard for people to come tell you what you need to hear. And the best thing you can, I, I think there's three things you can do. One, ask for feedback as often as you can. So it creates the environment that at least optimizes the chances for you to hear the truth. Next is get really good at, at how you ask. Uh, one of my favorite questions is I go to people who are who I respect or who are at varying levels in the organization and say, tell me one thing I can do differently to make whatever better, my brand, this brand, this company, one thing. And it is interesting. There's something about the wording of that question. Tell me. Well, guys, if you were listening, uh, maybe you heard her disappear. Cat had technical difficulties. We waited <laughs> a while for her, but she never came back. So we want to thank Cat for doing the show. She was great. Gave a lot of great advice. I know Annie Ann, Cinnabon, Jamba Juice, the list goes on. Moe's, right? Yeah, waitress to president. Waitress to literally the president of Hooters, vice president. Like, that is very inspirational and obviously she works for some of my favorite places to eat huge fan love cat and she she's she has an interesting story so i i feel like whoever listened to this just know that regardless of what you do in life just work on your job being the best at it and then opportunities will come that's all i want to say about that good advice let's end it on that yep thank you guys so much for listening don't forget to subscribe and review it a five star if you do um, I would greatly appreciate that. And I need all the help I can get because <laughs> my views are down. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys.